This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini-seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We are brought to you by Lawyers Pacific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, This is our third season, and we changed the format uh, from the first two seasons just a bit. Uh, We still provide the insights into the mediation process, but we'll do it through the power of storytelling, And in each episode, you'll hear a story about the conflict, the impact conflict had on the lives of the parties involved, how resolution was reached, and the lessons to be taken from the conflict and its resolution. Uh, The many of the story details that you are about to hear uh, have been modified, I should tell you, to preserve the confidentiality essential to mediation while also conveying the essence of the conflict and its resolution. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Sandy Jossen. Um, Sanford Jossen Esquire uh, is, uh, has been a mediator for a long time. He has mediated since 1987 Uh, and has uh, mediated thousands of cases across a wide variety of litigation matters. Uh, He served as a panelist on the uh, Los Angeles Superior Court Arbitration Panel, Los Angeles Superior Court Mediation Panel, both from their inception uh, to the conclusion of the programs. He is also currently and joins me on on the uh, U.S. District Court uh, panel for the Central District of California. And uh, he's a very active member of that. Uh, He has completed over 400 hours of mediation training and continuing education in the fields of mediation, uh, constantly uh, keeping up with uh, latest trends and studies, and um, was an adjunct professor as well uh, at the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution at Pepperdine University School of Law. Uh, He has handled just an incredible uh, number of cases and highly sensitive matters. Uh, He has a unique blend of professionalism and empathy. And has a successful track record in mediation of highly sensitive personal injury and civil cases, including uh, sexual molestation cases. He conducts his cases with compassion 
and a commitment to fair and equitable outcomes uh, for all litigants. Uh, he understands the complex emotions involved in disputes and values the opportunity for all parties to have their voices heard. His patience, responsiveness, and accommodation ensure that all parties have a safe and respectful environment to express the manner in which their disputes have affected them. And you are about to uh, be treated to a story about one of those cases. Thank you for joining me today, Sandy. Uh, I welcome you to Masters of Dispute Resolution. It's my pleasure, and I'm honored to be here. Let's just dive into it now. Um, you had a matter, uh, you and I have discussed, uh, you had a matter involving a musician and uh, and a, a landlord. And uh, why don't you tell us about that? Will do. It sounds like a simple matter, but it's a highly complex matter, multidimensional, multi-leveled, and that'll all become apparent as I explain it. Uh, in this case, we had a musician who was renting in a rent-controlled neighborhood, a very trendy neighborhood, an apartment from, uh, from a family, essentially, a 92-year-old woman with severe dementia and her daughter. They owned a multi-unit apartment building, and uh, they rented to this gentleman. Uh, and here's what happened. Uh, his, uh, the musician's mother uh, got a serious illness. The apartment was located, as I said, in Los Angeles. The mother of the musician lived in San Francisco. And so the musician went up to San Francisco to care for his mother and was gone essentially from the apartment for approximately a year. During this year, COVID ensued. The uh, musician applied for rental relief. No rent was paid for one year, but there was communication between the landlord and the tenant through email, text, and telephone calls. Ultimately, because partially because the tenant or tenants were not paying rent, the landlords decided to sell the building. They went into escrow, and four days before the escrow closed, the landlord, having posted a notice of abandonment on the apartment several weeks before, the landlord went into the apartment and removed many of the uh, musicians' musical instruments and other items, left the large, large items there, left collectibles there, oh, excuse me, and took all of these personal items, put them in storage in the landlord's home. There was no unlawful detainer file. This is an important fact. Uh, four days later, the, the apartment went into escrow. And about four months later, the tenant came back to the apartment to discover that the apartment was surrounded by fencing, was under renovation, had a new owner, and all of his, everything in his apartment was gone. He contacted the landlord to say, what happened? Where is my stuff? Landlord said, we have some of your things. Get a U-Haul. We'll let you know when you can pick these things up. Ultimately, the tenant picked the items up that the landlord had retained. And that is the, 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 uh, the core facts of the case. Now, here's where it gets multidimensional. The tenant sued the landlord. 
for wrongful eviction. Um, uh, let me give you the other causes of action. For being locked out of the apartment, um, for um, forcible entry and detainer, uh, for violation of the Los Angeles Municipal Code, and for negligence. The, the landlord tendered this, policy, this, this case to their insurance carrier who had a policy uh, with a $500,000 limit. The insurance carrier sued the landlord, declaratory relief, basically saying certain of these causes of action are not covered. We don't cover treble damages. We don't cover attorney's fees as provided under the civil code. And basically, we don't want anything to do with this case. Oh, here's where it gets even more complex. The tenant potentially had a claim against the carrier under the insurance code under 11580 because the, the tenant was potentially a judgment creditor. The landlord had a case potentially against the insurance company for bad faith, for not stepping up. The insurance company was defending the landlord under a reservation of rights, but had not agreed to indemnify. So we have all of these complex causes of action going on among each. And if the case did not settle, what ultimately would have resulted was tenant suing 92-year-old woman with severe dementia and her daughter, you know, basically small-time operators. These people didn't own, you know, hundreds of apartment buildings, just a family that owned, you know, basically one multi, multi-unit apartment building. We would have had the landlord potentially suing the carrier for bad faith, and we would have had the, the uh, tenant suing the carrier uh, for the indemnity. The plaintiff made a demand for $1.5 million. I want to remind you that the tenant had not paid rent for one year, and the tenant had extremely sophisticated lawyers who were extremely knowledgeable about housing law. Sandy, we're going to take a break. This is really going to be getting a little bit more complicated. It is going to be very interesting exploring how mediation untangled this plate of spaghetti that you have just described. You are listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I am Lynn Levy, and my guest is Sandy Johnson, who will untangle some things when we return. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. 
I'm Len Levy, and I'm chatting with Sandy Jossen, who has just described a tangledness uh, that uh, he was chosen to mediate. And uh, let's let's talk more about that tangled mess and um, how you approached untangling it. Okay, this case had complex, uh, numerous levels of complexity. Uh, on an emotional level, the landlord potentially was facing personal exposure. This was an unsophisticated woman and her basically profoundly developmentally disabled mother. Um, and she was, she was terrified, to be perfectly honest, particularly when, com when confronted with a demand of one and a half million dollars. Um, the attorneys for the plaintiff were pretty hardball and were even demanding that they take the property or, or suggesting that they take the property either through settlement or through judgment. So the landlord was, was personal, potentially personally exposed and terrified. The tenant, although he hadn't paid rent for a year, was irate. He basically contended that the landlord had his contact information and could easily have contacted him and advised him of her intent and provided him with notice either through an unlawful detainer, uh, a legal proceeding, or, or, or personal notice that the building was going to be sold. He had to remove his things. He lost a lot of collectibles. He lost his instruments. Uh, he, was, he claimed he was unable to work. And very interestingly, one of his claims was that he lost his rent control department in a trendy neighborhood. And one of the, one of the elements of damages was the value of the apartment over the course of the remainder of his life. Okay, kind of a clever tactic by the plaintiff's attorneys, who, as I mentioned, were extremely sophisticated. I will digress for a moment and say uh, this case involved unique law. And one of the recommendations I would make to anybody, anybody who's going to mediation is don't just cite the code, have the law in the brief so that the mediator doesn't have to go back and forth to the civil code, code of civil procedure, Los Angeles Municipal Code to find these various laws. Just a little suggestion there. Um, the insurance company was completely irate because for one, they didn't cover the element of damages with respect to the loss of the value of the apartment. Um, there were a lot of issues there. I knew that if I didn't settle this case, that all that would happen would be a whole bunch of tentacles of new litigation um, it wasn't in anybody's best interest in the end. So my goal was to find, try to find a solution that, uh, that addressed the legal issues, the potential damages, et cetera. How did I do this? Number one, the first thing I did, which I always do, and I recommend any mediator to do, is before the mediation took place, I contacted every lawyer in the case. I explained to them, the process that I was going to follow so that they would know rather than taking their time during the mediation to explain it. By the time I had spoken to each lawyer, I was thoroughly familiar with the case, the legal issues, and the sensitivities involved, including the sensitivity of the landlord who basically was saying, why am I getting sued? This guy hasn't paid rent for a year. Yeah, just to be clear, the, the the landlord at that at that 
that you're referring to is the daughter of the 92 year old who is the actual owner. Is that correct? I'm glad that you brought that that element up because the property was in a trust. The trust was not a policyholder, but the carrier was in the picture and the landlords, the, the, the mother and the daughter were personally being sued as well as the trust. So there were a lot of nuances with respect to uh, personal exposure of landlord and exposure of insurance company and what would be covered and what not what would not be covered. So and, thank and, you. And, and again, not to not to to make this more complicated, but the escrow hadn't closed yet on 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 it. Or no, the escrow had already closed. The new owners had assumed ownership of the property. The new owners were not parties in the case. They had nothing to do with the case. The building was gone. Uh, Physicians' property was gone. The apartment was apparently no longer uh, accessible or available to the musician. Got it. Okay. okay. So, so now you've had the you had the conversation, which is an excellent idea. Uh, I do the same thing and and make it my practice uh, to do that um, to have the conversation before the mediation begins. You you set up the mediation. Did you, you did you set up the mediation with separate caucuses or with uh, with a joint session of some sort? I had no joint session in the beginning. In the end, when a resolution was accomplished, there was a I believe there was a joint session with respect to working out various elements of the settlement. You know specifically who was going to pay what and how this was going to be done. But there was no joint session as far as uh, permitting the parties to have catharsis. Now, let me explain that. When I did the, you know, this is a case that involved unique legal issues, but also, I mean, as mediators, I think a good mediator has to recognize that in every case, there's an emotional component to the case. It's very easy for the mediator to simply focus on the most common element, i.e. the money. What is the demand? What, you know, et cetera. But every, every case has an emotional element. In this case, there was the emotional element of the landlord who number one was terrified and, 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 and uh, was irate about being sued when the tenant had not paid rent and basically had remained away from the apartment for a year, okay, um, there was the emotional element of the tenant who had lost his personal belongings and felt disrespected and had represented that the landlord had his contact information through telephone, email, and text and simply never called him. Uh, and then, believe it or not, there was there was an emotional element from the context of the attorney for the carrier and the adjuster for the carrier who basically felt, what are we doing here? We are being asked to cover items that either are not covered items under the policy or uh, are claims made against the individuals, uh, claims made against the trust uh, rather than the policyholders. So 
I had to recognize all of those elements. Now, what I did when I commenced the mediation is I spoke to I spoke to each party, explained the process I was going to follow to the parties. The lawyers were already aware of it and then gave each of the parties, including the adjuster for the insurance company, uh, uh, in sequence, meaning alone, but one after the other, the opportunity to explain to me the case from their perspective. In other words, I listened to the tenant. He wasn't talking to me law. The lawyers were very, again, for the third time, very sophisticated. He explained to me what happened from his perspective, how he came down, but the buildings fenced off. He has to call the landlord. They give him all of this um, um, uh, 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 different things before he could get his different excuses, before he could get his property. I had to listen to the landlord uh, who explained to me how she felt. And of course, I listened to the adjuster and the lawyer for the coverage, you know, for the carrier who were both sophisticated parties. But after listening to them, I was then able to understand and meld in my mind both the legal and emotional issues in the case. And it was after that, as I explain in every mediation that I do, I find that every mediation follows the same process. It doesn't matter if it's copyright, trademark, personal injury, auto bicycle, etc. Sandy, we're going to get into how the melding process in your mind led you to assist the parties in achieving a settlement, overcoming all of the emotional issues that uh, you had to overcome. I'm Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution, and we are discussing a great story with Sandy Jossett. We'll be back. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there are so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you don't need to. Their professional liability experts shop California's leading insurance carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the best price. Lawyer-specific founders Al and Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California to find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyersPacific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy and my guest is Sandy Jossen. Um, and we uh, are talking about a case that is more complex the more we talk about it. <laughs> and... Uh, there, uh, just a question to start out here, Sandy. Apparently, there was some sense of urgency in getting this matter resolved. Is Can you explain that? I was asked to mediate this case on a Thursday, I believe. Uh, I agreed to mediate it that Saturday because it was scheduled for trial 
the coming Tuesday. In addition, uh, there had already been hearings on the motions in limine, and the judge, who I know to be a stern judge, had ordered that the defendant could not mention that the plaintiff, the tenant, had failed to pay rent for a year. Just to answer the question of the audience as to why that was, because I asked it, uh, the judge felt that the tenant had got COVID relief and that it would be prejudicial to the tenant to mention that the tenant had not paid rent for a year. Obviously, this raises a lot of questions with respect to equity and and how things you know are viewed in a courtroom as opposed to how the facts really are. Uh, I will add that it did signal to me uh, as a mediator uh, that the parties were motivated to explore mediation given the urgency um, with which, given the urgency uh, that they were facing trial in you know just a few days. And, and if the matter didn't settle, the trial would take place and perhaps even more litigation would have ensued, correct? I, that is correct. Uh, I, I, it was obvious to me that if, if, not just if, but probably more likely than not, a verdict was rendered against the defendants, the plaintiff's counsel, the tenant's counsel, would probably be suing the insurance company for the indemnity um, because you can't waive that under the insurance code. Under 11, under 11580, I believe, the insurance code. I think that the tenant, excuse me, the landlord would have probably filed a lawsuit against the insurance company on the coverage issues. So you would have had two new lawsuits um, arising out of this case, as well as whatever action would have taken place um, to proceed against uh, this poor woman um, and her disabled mother vis-a-vis uh, -vis collection. So, so um, also a question arose in my mind. Uh, was he able to get back any of his, the tenant, any, any of, the, uh, of his uh, belongings? Yes. Um, uh, the, te um, the tenant, the escrow closed in April. Uh, the tenant came down in July to discover the building surrounded by a fence being renovated and his apartment inaccessible. He contacted the landlord. The landlord said, get a U-Haul and contact us. They ultimately made arrangements. Uh, the tenant uh, took the U-Haul, uh, I guess, to some location that the landlord specified and was able to recover some of his belongings. The tenant claimed that he was not able to recover all of his belongings. Okay. All right. So getting into the mediation, you have all of these impediments, these emotional impediments. You've got legal impediments. You've got more impediments than, than perhaps anyone could wrap their head around in terms of solution, at least in terms of the parties without your help. How did you help them? Well, first of all, let me emphasize this. I looked at all of the law. I asked myself, gee, here's a guy who hasn't paid rent in a year. I mean, what, what, are the, what are the equities here and what does the law say? After looking at the law, part of what I explained when I spoke to the 
the landlord was, I, I explained to her that she wasn't the problem. Ultimately, the problem is the law. The law provides for attorney's fees. The law provides for punitive damages, which wouldn't be covered by insurance. And the law provides for treble damages, which wouldn't be covered by insurance. Um, obviously, uh, the, the landlord, uh, she felt wronged in the sense that the tenant had not maintained communication with her and had not returned to the apartment in a year or paid rent in a year. So I had to explain to the landlord not only the precarious position she was in, but why she was in that position. Um, the tenant at the same time, um, for lack of a better expression, well, I'll say it in a polite way, sensed opportunity. Uh, the tenant knew that the law provided attorney's fees and all of these other damages and knew that the tenant, the, the landlord, excuse me, could not mention to a jury that the tenant had not paid rent and that there were potentially uh, extensive damages available to the tenant. Um, then you add the carrier in the middle. Of course, I myself, as I'm sitting there in mediator, uh, there's a part of me saying, she was what's fair here, you know, uh, this poor landlord hadn't been paid in a year. Um, at the same time, there's a factual issue uh, as to whether she could have contacted the tenant and notified the tenant of her intention to determine that the apartment had been abandoned and provide them with uh, the, the statutory notice and the form and all of those things. Ultimately, there was evidence available that she had information and she had texted him. So, so we had problems all around. Uh, after I spoke to everybody, went through the emotional issues, went through the legal issues, what I explained to all of the parties, and by the, when I say parties, I mean the lawyers, and the clients is what I have found having done thousands of mediations is it doesn't matter what the subject of the mediation is at a certain point in time when the plaintiff, when, when the defendant says these magic words, the mediation turns and those magic words are, what is their demand? And once those words are spoken, then the mediation goes from catharsis, discussion of legal issues, discussion of facts and evidence, um, and all of those different things to a negotiation. Let me just step back for one moment, though. One tool that I find that is really valuable that I haven't seen used too much, including during my 41 years in practice, in, in which I represented parties, is to turn to the party's attorneys and say, if you were representing the other side, what would be your best case then? It forces the attorneys to shift their thinking and it forces the attorneys to evaluate their own risks because oftentimes attorneys, whether they're plaintiff's attorneys, defendant's attorneys, coverage attorneys, or, some, or representing some other interest, get caught up in the merits of their own position. And every case from every side does have risk. And I have 
seen cases where I have seen cases where plaintiffs have won cases before a jury, but gotten no damages because they didn't believe that the plaintiff got hurt. Although they believe the defendant, for example, was negligent. It can happen. I actually was involved in a case like that where a dead bang rear ender where uh, the the uh, jury found no damages to the plaintiff and the defendant had to go in and get a cost bill against the plaintiff. So there's risk on all sides. And part of my job as mediator is to make or to enable the, the attorneys to step out of their own positions and evaluate the risks to their own clients and their positions as well as advocating for their clients. Well, we're, we're going to be exploring that a bit more. We're going to be talking about how the interests of the parties were met in, a, in the resolution and some takeaways when we return for our final uh, segment. This is Len Levy. I'm talking with Sandy Johnson on Masters of Dispute Resolution. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States, with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution, and we are going into our final segment of this Fascinating story with Sandy Jossen and I am Lynn Levy. Sandy, we were just talking about the mediation, uh, the aspect of mediation, which is negotiation. What what happened in negotiating this that brought into uh, into the resolution the interests of the parties? The carrier recognized that it had exposure. The the landlord recognized that she had individual exposure. I ultimately was able to get to a rock bottom number with the plaintiff as to what they were willing to accept. Things again became more complex when the carrier indicated uh, that they were willing to pay more than the plaintiff was willing to take and the individual landlord was willing to pay some as well. I was then faced with the very difficult position of having to figure out 
how to resolve the case to everyone's satisfaction and do the right thing, which was a, a very difficult thing to struggle with from a legal and moral pers perspective, given the amounts uh, uh, that were on the table and that were being demanded. I'll, I'll just say this. I settled the case. Um, uh, the plaintiff wound up getting more uh, than they were willing to accept. Harrier and the landlord paid less than they were willing ultimately to pay. So I felt like in the end that it was a good resolution. Everybody was satisfied, most of all, that there was resolution and these additional cases uh, would not mushroom out and the the landlord wouldn't wind up in front of a jury um, with these very sophisticated and very competent lawyers and and and, and perhaps be exposed to, to a judgment um, that would not be covered by the carrier. I just want to uh, unlock something here. One of the principles of mediation is self-determination. The parties decide. We're not, I often say in the beginning of a mediation, I'm not here to decide who wins, who loses, how much gets paid. It is up to you as the parties to make a determination as to the risks involved and what you are willing to do to get the matter resolved. So you're faced, you were faced with a, with people obviously trusting you because they've given you their final demand, which we could digress a little bit on that. Sometimes you, let's just say it, it's, it's good practice as a mediator not to believe all final demands uh, or final offers. Uh, but in this particular case, you have you have a situation where the parties have said what they are willing to do, and those overlap. So your dilemma was, how do I get the parties to decide what to pay and not interject that myself? How did you uh, do that? Well, part of the way that I did that and part of the, you know what 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 I often do uh, when when it comes to the plaintiff, um, what I often do is pose to them this: I I say to them sometimes the issue f that will enable you to decide what to do is not to ask yourself how much do I want or how much do I believe I should receive or what is it that I think I deserve. Sometimes I say to the plaintiff, what you have to do is ask yourself, what can I afford to lose? Here's the proposal in front of you. Are you willing to risk that? In other words, are you willing to take this amount, go to Las Vegas, put it on one number on some roulette wheel, and if you lose it, can you say, no big deal? Oftentimes, most people can't do that. That helps them in determining which way to go and what they want to, you know, whether it makes sense to accept it or not. Their risk um, tolerance, their risk tolerance. Exactly. Um, with the carrier, I was dealing with a sophis very sophisticated lawyer and a sophisticated adjuster, and they understood the risk and they made their proposal. And ultimately they stepped up and made a good faith proposal that enabled me presentation to the plaintiff 
as I just described. Uh, with the with the individual landlord, um, she faced that personal exposure. So again, I explained to her what it was she was being asked to offer as compared to the potential personal exposure she faced and the rational basis for making that offer and putting that amount of money on the table, although she was paying it out of her own pocket. So let, let, let me let me see if I if I understand this correctly. So even though the parties have told you ultimately where they're willing to go, that is a different that is something different from what are you wanting to offer at this moment in order to get there? Because at, at some point you can say, as a mediator, look, I know they're willing to go to whatever number, but let's take it one step at a time. In order to get to that number, you don't necessarily say, let's throw it all on the table. There are some interim steps that you can take in the negotiation. So in other words, did you conduct this as a, let's take some intermediate steps before we get to your final number? Yes. There was a lengthy, after going through all of the facts, all of the emotion, and all of the law, uh, all of the fact, all of the emotion with the landlord and tenant, all of the facts uh, and the law with the respective attorneys. Uh, and once we began the negotiation, it was a lengthy negotiation process with the typical uh, back and forth and discussion, which ultimately led to the plaintiff saying our bottom line is, and the defendant saying uh, we're willing to offer uh, X and Y. At that point in time, that's when I was confronted with having to uh, to do the the um, machinations or calculations uh, ultimately to put the different proposals in front of the three parties and ultimately give them the decision as to what it was that they wanted to do and if they wanted to settle the case. In the end, the uh, everybody saw the the wisdom and the practicality uh, and the good faith of the proposals that were made and a settlement was accomplished, which, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, ended the stress for the landlord and the exposure, um, satisfied the tenant and ended any potential further liability or litigation for the carrier. So I'm not going to say a good time was had by all, but a, but a resolution was accomplished to everybody's satisfaction. And that satisfaction was because their interests had been uh, had been satisfied to the extent they needed to have them satisfied. And the emotions were uh, that that they had come into the mediation with um were overcome. That was a great, great job. Great uh, job as a mediator. Uh, fantastic uh, story. Uh, I really appreciate your taking the time to tell it, uh, share that with us. 
Um, and uh, before we wrap up, what is the best way for people uh, who are listening to the podcast to uh, book you for a mediation or just to contact you? Well, the best way to reach me is they could contact ADR Services and speak to my case manager, Ella Fishman, or they could call my office direct um, at 310-546-9118, and my office will help them uh, coordinate with ADR Services, and uh, that's the best way to reach me. Or they can reach me by email. Uh, no laughing, anybody. It's old school. My last name, J-O-S-S-E-N-L-A-W, Law at AOL.com. Thank, thank you, Sandy. Um, and uh, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, I hope to have you back as a guest in the future. And um, I'd be honored. Thank you, Daryl Wayne, my engineer and producer. And I'm your host, Lynn Levy. And this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. I hope you will continue to enjoy the stories we bring you. This is the last uh, episode of season three. Season four is just around the corner. And in the meantime, stay well, keep listening, and remember that peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, Telephone him at 818-903-5562 or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.